My next guest is a former NFL defensive back for the Houston Texans, several other teams, two-time pro bowler, recently retired. I want to welcome on Mr. Jonathan Joseph. Jonathan, how's the retirement? Oh, man, it's treating me well, man. Obviously, it's a big adjustment. Been doing something all my life. And then, you know, just to kind of uh, step away from it. But it's been good, you know, having more time to do things that I haven't had a chance to do. And it's funny because, you know, I'm only about two months into this thing. So um, are you kind of like tuning into NFL on Sundays like a fan or are you still kind of like what's that that mode for you? Um, I'm definitely a fan for sure. I don't have the itch to play. You know, um, my, my foot, when I put my retirement, my name into the retirement hat, you know, I just laid all my emotions and everything go. You see a lot of injuries go down and things like that. And I know some guys like, man, you know, I can be out there. And that I'm past that stage also. So now I just got to be a true fan and look at it and just kind of be one of those guys. I sit back and see plays develop before it happened and see if the guy's in the wrong position, you know, yelling at the TV or the guy out there like, man, why wouldn't you inside leverage? So now I'm more so of like a coach, fan, former player, whatever it may be, but I'm definitely watching, you know, I'm going between four and five games, however many zone at the time. You, you're a red zone guy. You like just watching the full game zone. No, I need the full game. I need the full game. You know, I just need to see what's going on, situations. I don't want to be flipping back and forth between that. You know, I just kind of go what game got, you know, at that moment, that's a tight ball game or got, you know, players obviously that I know on that team, see how they're doing at that moment. So that's how I kind of roll with it. I've heard some some former guys turn off the sound, kind of like watching film. Do you do that or do you, you like the sound on? No, I like the sound on just because, you know, as a former player, you get to hear so much. You get to hear the audibles. You get to hear the checks, you know, see so much going on. And um, I think for the way high definition is in those sound systems they have now, it's like you're out there on the field with those guys. And obviously being a former player, I understand everything from defensive checks to the quarterback checking at the line of scrimmage. So for me, I love to hear all of that because I have kids and I let them hear like, hey, you just didn't hear the quarterback say this. How could the defense didn't see that? You know, so um, for me, I enjoy that part of it. For the Texans, do you think it's David Cully who's got running the show? Do you think Bill O'Brien somehow is still involved way behind the scenes? <laughs> man, Cully's running the show, man. It's like, I guess it's kind of, um, it's like I said before, so much going on when he got the job. You know, obviously he wasn't the first guy, the first candidate, and then the way things played out. So I think, you know, just to be in that position and to handle it the way he's handled it, I think he's doing a fantastic job just because, we're only on the outside, so I can only imagine, you know, how things are going on the inside and just the responsibility being, responsibility being put on him, being a first-time coach, having no coordinator experience and things like that. Well, what was it like playing with Bill O'Brien when he just kind of just took over, like, he was like God in Houston. He was really like, yeah, I'm doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing all this shit. Man, it was good, man. I enjoyed Billy O. You know, some people get pushed off by his fiery uh, mode, but I understand him. He just want to win. And, um, you know, his personality and his way doesn't work for everybody. But I think at the end of the day, we had a lot of success with him here in Houston. And um, for me, um, every coach ain't going to make the right decision or, you know, do everything perfectly. But I think when I was out there with him, we had good intentions and we was close a lot of years. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out. There's no one particular guy that you can point the finger at in my eyes with me being in that locker room. You know, it's a lot of blame to go around to a lot of different people on all different levels. But I think overall, just from the transition from Coach Coop to him, I think the veteran players handled it really well. I think it was just a transition to get new players in that wasn't already, you know, built up in that coaching. 
what are your thoughts on the AFC South as it stands right now? Man, it's changing every week, huh? I think, you know, you look early on, everybody had a chance. And then, um, you know, things Jack, started to separate Jacksonville. itself. Jacksonville's been, Jacksonville's been out since offseason. <laughs> they had a lot of hype. They had a lot of hype going on, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, they hit the uh, wall real quick. And obviously, that's going to happen. New head coach, first time in the NFL, rookie quarterback. And I think those guys been in a lot of close ball games. And I think they can see as a team and as a staff that NFL is really hard to win every week, no matter who your opponent is. And I think you look up in Indianapolis, I think Carson Wentz is starting to play better as a result of him getting more playmakers healthy around him. T.Y. Hilton, you know, coming back, running backs, they got a plethora of those guys who's been mentioned every week in trade rumors. So I think the offensive line was banged up early in the year, too, for those guys. So those guys made some plays. And obviously, Tennessee, those guys lost, you know, early on to Arizona, tough opponent. But they won a big game last night, you know, on Monday or whenever that was, which everybody had Buffalo favorites to win it. Yeah. You know, after Buffalo go up and do Kansas City like that. So, you know, you have to look at some of that and say, well, you know, what is Tennessee going to do this year when things get deep down into the playoffs or deep down until late in the year when guys are fighting for positions? And I think the Houston Texans, you know, um, they've been close to some games early on, first half, you know, yeah. and for whatever reason, um, made costly turnovers or just didn't finish games well to put themselves where they're at right now. So I think it's obviously two guys at the top of the AFC South, the Colts and the um, Titans. Titans been running it the last few years, and I don't look for them to do the same, you know, the rest of the year. Are there any guys left on Houston's defense that you played with? I feel like they, because I know like they released personal to the day. Is anybody left? Man, you know, like those young guys, you know, like Lonnie Johnson, Justin Reed, um, Vernon oh, Hargraves, I think is out there. Justin Reed. Uh, but it's not many guys, man. It's, you know, it's probably what down to just John Weeks, man. A um, few guys over there left over there holding on. And I think, um, but that happens in the NFL. Anytime you have new guys come in, new coaching staff, new turnover. You know, I remember Billy o Bill O'Brien's first year, first, second year there. Under the first staff with Coach Cooper, it wasn't much roster turnover. It was kind of, you know, top heavy with the roster. But when Bill O'Brien got there, that waiver wire every week was spinning. It was like a revolving door with those guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like a rude awakening to guys in the building. It's like, what's going on here? And I think um, – you see over there, they had, what, 35, 40 new free agents. And I think that's hard to adjust to as a team. You know, um, then you had injuries at key positions. I think it's just um, early on for those guys, very young team, young coaching staff. So I think that's a few years down the road. That's a process. Were you on the team last year when they moved D-Hop? Yeah, I was there when they moved D-Hop. How'd you react? A second? Um, a second? What? Yeah, for sure. Well, I wasn't there. I was actually I was that was my last year done. But I was oh, okay. I was there. I was there for the build up. I was there for the build up. Um, you, you see that, and then all of a sudden you see Stephon Diggs come out, and they get those two first round picks, and you don't pay much attention to it until you start to see uh, Laramie Tunsil, Jadavion Clowney, and all those. And now you're like, man, you know, just with, with, without whatever the production is on the field, just the names along itself. You should have a slew of picks, you know, a uh, boatload of them. And then when you see that, it's like, man, we just giving players away at that moment. And obviously players don't know what the long-term plan is because we're not in those meetings. We don't have those conversations with, you know, upstairs. Obviously, um, you know, franchise players do. But when you're on the outside looking in, it's kind of hard for the players because you're looking at your top player, guy that's respected in the locker room, respected in the NFL by all his peers, just traded away for a second round pick when you know what a second round pick is worth 
when you've seen those guys come in and take several years to develop into that type of production. So it's things definitely in the locker room and make everybody else get on their tiptoes and look, am I next? Yeah. Well, what, what was it? Can you take me through the game? The was the wild card game a couple years ago against K State. Uh huh. The 20, about the 21, 21 up when you guys up twenty one nothing. Man, <laughs> it shows. It, it goes shows just that's how hard this league is to win. And Kansas City has been known for that same trend the past few years when they've been on their run to be down big in games. And the biggest thing you look back at is to where it's like. We was controlling the game. We wasn't just winning the game. And you look back, the biggest thing I can just think about was that punt fake. You know, once that punt fake hit, you know how momentum works in this game, especially with a home crowd like Kansas City Chiefs. It don't take much to unravel. And at that moment, you know, we were still having roster stuff going on. They trying to, you know, get some of the older guys out of there, put new guys in. And we was playing some young guys at that time that just un didn't understand the magnitude of a playoff game. Playoff game is a different speed. Everybody knows exactly what they're doing. There's not many mistakes. So once that big punt fake didn't go the way that it should have went in our favor, everything else just kind of imploded on us. You know, those guys put up, what, 14 straight points to where we was up 21 points, had the ball, controlling the ball, let the defense go out. You know, use the clock in your favor at that time. Obviously, we can keep continue scoring points, but don't give a team like that a short field to go out with fireworks. And then when looking back on it, just watching the film, it was just their most dominant special teams player, Sorensen. You ain't ever tricking that guy. Sorensen, who's getting killed this year. <laughs> well, it's, 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 but you have to put a guy like him in a position to what he do, does well. You put a guy out there chasing speed guys, that's not fair in his defense, and he goes out there and competes week in and week out. But you put a guy in a favorable matchup against a tight end, he wins most of those matchups. Man, it's, it's wild. Uh, when did you join the Texans? Because I thought you were on the team for like 35 years. Like I was literally like every Madden, I'm like, oh, Jonathan Dustin probably here has been there a season. It's nine years, man. We had a great run. It's, I think uh, for me, um, having a guy like Kareem Jackson on the other side, having good safeties, you know, I think that makes a guy like me able to play longer because the communication level, the comfort level, being in the same defensive scheme, you know, I think all those things going to – having longevity like that with the same team. Obviously, you have to go out and produce. You have to stay healthy, do a lot of things right on your end. But I think all in all, it was just a perfect combination, a perfect storm, you know, for my situation at that time. I had a few chances to leave, but I always felt like deep in my heart, we were very close. You know, we always got close enough, but we just couldn't get over the hump. Same thing when we had New England up there a few times, you know, on the ropes, but we couldn't throw that knockout punch. But if I'm going to be that close that late in my career, I want to go down fighting with the guys who we've built it up with over the years. You know, J.J. Watt, Kareem Jackson, Brian Cushion, Whitney Merciless, Hopkins, you know, Lamar Miller, all those guys that clown, all those guys that we built a bond with. I just didn't want to leave, you know, the chance that I had in free agency to go take a chance with something that I wasn't certain that even had a chance. What was it like, what was it like lining up um, across from uh, Andre Johnson when you got there in practice? Man, it was um... – it was one of those situations to where I knew what I was in for, you know, and um, that was one of the big reasons that I even came to Houston, just, you know, having conversations with him, having a chance, you know, um, at a wedding off in the summer uh, during the lockout, talk with him and a um, guy like him who put his all on the line each and every week for this city. I knew coming over that I was going to have big shoes to fill just from a standpoint of responsibility and playing on a team with TJ Hoosman's auto 
the late Chris Henry, uh, Terrell Owens, Chad Johnson. They prepared me for situations like that to where I knew each day if I didn't show up to practice, I would get embarrassed, you know? And now it's no longer like I'm a younger guy. Now I'm being the highest paid player over here on this defensive side of the ball. So all eyes is going to be on how I'm going to, you know, handle myself in practice, how I'm going to win my matchups. So I took that, you know, with pride. So each and every day that I went out there, I wanted to make him better the same way I knew that he was going to make me better. At that point, was he the toughest guy you'd matched up with? And you were like, all right, good. I don't, I don't stick this guy on Sundays anymore. No, not at all, because every matchup is different. You know, um, just because as good as he is, you may have another guy that's unheard of, that's just blistering fast. That, you know, just a problem just because he's so fast. So you have to approach everyone different and use different techniques for different guys. I think the biggest mentality for going up a guy like him is a guy like him in practice is going to get the ball thrown his way 80% of the time because he's the feature guy. So if you're following that guy around in practice, there's no plays off. You know, into the ball game, he's getting 15 targets a game. So for me as a defensive player, that had my mentality going into the game to where most cornerbacks think, well, the other team is not going to target me just because how good I am. No, they pay that guy a lot of money, too, to go beat guys just like you. Who's the QB when you got there? Was it Schaub or somebody else? Yeah, it was Matt Schaub. It was Matt Schaub. That's cool. Um, and then were you there when, um, when Andre – who did he clock? He, he beat the shit out of somebody. <laughs> oh, no, nah, that was Cortland Finnegan. I wasn't here for that. Oh, okay. But you can see the buildup around the league. You know, I'm in the AFC South, <laughs> so you can see the same buildup every time you put on the film, you see. And that was Cortland's makeup. You know, Cortland couldn't go out there and be – a guy that will, well, I'm playing Andre Johnson this week. I can't be feisty. He wouldn't be the Pro Bowl player or the good player that he was. You know what I mean? So he had to yeah. go out there with a chip on his shoulder. And I think, you know, it was just Tennessee was good at the time. You know, they had some running backs. They had a good defense. So Andre Johnson had a lot of frustration because they was at that point to where they was good enough to compete to try to win a division. So it's just, you know, him being tired of it. He's not a real talkative guy. But at the end of the day, he's not going to be disrespected. And I think, you know, in football, it's no different than a situation with me and T.Y. When your, you know, mindset is racing at 100 miles per hour and you're competing at the highest level, the slightest thing can just trigger you. And I think it was just one thing led to another. Several games are just guys, he liked to jump jam and quick jam and get his hands on you at the line of scrimmage. And nobody wants their hands to be, nobody wants to be hit in the face. Once those hands go to the face, your mindset just triggers off like, man, he just hit me in the face no matter what the situation is. And that kind of how that occurred. And once the helmet came off, you know, it's just one thing led to another. Andre just, you know, hit a different mode where people didn't really see as in they looking at it as if he's a fighter. It's not that he's a fighter. He's a competitor. You know, he's just competing out there and just emotions running high. And at the end of the day, you know, Courtland took the bad end of that stick. Yeah. Do you remember when JJ got there? What was he like as a rookie? Had the same mentality, same intensity, but um, obviously he wasn't as dominant. But you just seen a guy that um, I wouldn't say finding himself around the NFL, but we had a lot of veterans on that team, if you remember. Connor Barron, Sean Cody. I forgot you had Connor Barron. Was, was Mario Williams you know, on that team? Yeah, yeah, Mario Williams, D'Amico Ryans, you know, Antonio now he's, now Smith. That was in D.C. That was D.C. and yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, wild. exactly. Antonio Smith, Brian Cushion. Uh, Danielle Manning, you know, just on the offensive side. Then you go Wade Smith, Dwayne Brown, uh, all those guys, Aaron? Chris Myers, Arian Foster. Um, yeah, exactly. All those guys on the offensive side. So we had a very veteran team. So he was kind of finding his way in. 
and we had a dominant defensive line. You think about it, we had Mario Williams, who was the number one pick. So it wasn't like he was just coming in and was just the big alpha male of that line. You know, he found himself, he put his work in, and he knew what he wanted to be, and he learned a little bit from each and every guy. But he came in with that same work ethic and that same mode and determination. But, you know, every time it's something that clicks into a guy, and I think we was playing uh, – I can't remember who it was when he caught that tip interception pass, and he was just hitting his stride. You just seen a guy that was just super athletic. Put him out in practice, he catch one-hand passes. We run conditioning drills. He's the first guy, you know, among linebackers and DBs at times. So you're looking around, it's like, is this guy a fake or a fraud? Just because, you know, it's like he's going so hard. And people, some people just couldn't understand it or didn't know how to take it. And I knew exactly, you know, what he was aiming for and what he was trying to do because he's seen that if he put the hard work in on Sundays, it will be just so much easier for him. If he's in tip-top shape when those other guys are tired, he would dominate those guys. And that's just what you've seen on Sunday. And he kind of set a wave off for everyone on that team. Like, if you put the work in, this is what you can become. Did he do anything differently in preparation or something? You're like, I just did just built different. I think it was a combination of it all. Early on, you know, he wasn't – I wouldn't say he was having fun because he was so determined to be great to where, you know, he was going to bed 8 o'clock at night, you know, reading, going straight to sleep doing none of the things that guys at his age was doing, especially guys who was having success. You, you know, reading? He, what was he, like books and shit or like plays? Yeah, right? yeah, like books, you know, he's big into reading books and everything he, early on in his career. So, you know, he wasn't a guy that was up, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. He was all about his body, all about his nutrition, all about getting the, being the best player, best performer he could be. And, I mean, he was very dedicated to it, to where guys was like, man, we got to have a little fun. You know, not we, but as in him as a player, you know, things like that. And I think um, he just kept that same grind and that same mentality to where he got to a level to where he just couldn't be stopped. He was a non-stoppable force. And as he grew older, he started to see to where I do need to enjoy myself. I do need to have because this game could be taken away from when he started to get injuries and started to get things like that. So then you started to see him have a little bit more open up a little bit. But the one thing that never left him, he started to work even harder. You know, so that's why you're able to see a guy like him last and keep that dominance. You know, three-time MVP player, defensive MVP, but come in, first guy in the building, last guy on the practice field, sign autographs, have time for the city, have time for charity work. You know, it's hard to find a guy like that, that has that type of success, that type of heart, you know, and determination. Do you remember in practice when they would be pulling him off the defensive side of the ball to have him work in some of those tight end sets on the goal line? Oh, no, I tell people all the time, he's unguardable in practice. It was a few guys that was, like, just nonstop, not unstoppable in practice. It was J.J. Watt and Arian Foster. I watched J.J. Watt go out there at tight end at times into where he was just catching one-handed passes on whoever you put out there, whether it was a cornerback, linebacker. You couldn't put a linebacker out there or a safety. It was like just – he was just on fire. He was just at his peak performance to where it was nothing that he couldn't do. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, with, with, with Brian Cushing, I remember from Hard Knocks, I feel like he's like this, the real life, like a jock. Is that a fair, is that a fair, is that a fair assessment, Brian Cushing? Very fair, very fair. You know, he's like the guy that you see on TV all the time that you imagine like the guy that push, pushing like, the kids locker in in high school, get the hell out of here, some shit like that. Exactly. A hundred percent, but all in good heart, biggest heart on the team, but he's the guy that makes the locker room fun. You know what I mean? Like when. He was injured or he wasn't in that locker room. It wasn't as fun because he was the guy that kept everybody on edge. 
He's on, he's the one that always having fun with the training staff, the equipment staff. He was the same guy with everybody, whether it was in the weight room, practice field. He was just, you know, he, he was the biggest guy. As you, if you want to say a jock, is a guy that you can find. Love yeah. football, love to have fun, love to horse play around. But when Sunday came around, he was going a thousand miles per hour, you know, yeah. balls to the wall. So um, just, and he's one of my best friends, you know, just having a bond with a guy like that, yeah. getting to know a guy and understanding a guy like that and what makes him tick and what makes him go. And then, and then when, 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 when Hop got there, so who was harder for you in, in their peak and practice matchup with Andre or, or Hop? Uh, um, I would say Hop, and I would say only because of this reason, right? When I got there, you have to think, I was 27 years old. I was still elite, elite, elite. So I had no problems with no one. But when Hop became in his prime, I was 33 years old, 32 years old, you know? So it's, it's almost an eight-year difference in gap. So I didn't have any problems with him, but I have to come to work every day and work that much harder because of the age difference, you know, starting to slow down and things like that. And it wasn't that he was a guy that was just going to run by you and things like that. It was a simple fact that you knew if the ball was thrown his way, he's going to find a way to catch it. Yeah. Um, you, you match up with T.Y. all the time. And I think if people, people have forgotten how good, like how much work T.Y. was getting when Luck was there. What was that like matching up with him? Uh, it was always a good matchup. You know, we just always had the wrong game plan at times to me. It's like we always go over there and run split safeties. I'm like, why are we running split safeties versus T.Y.? Because he wants to run through the middle of the field. Let's put a middle field safety out there and see can he beat one-on-one matchups on the outside like the big wide receivers does. But every time we play split safeties and you look up, he's running through the middle of the field. 30, 40 yard bomb. And um, it was always good because a guy like him is shifty, speedy, he's competitive. But with a quarterback like Andrew Luck, who doesn't mind taking sacks or getting hit, who's going to sit in there with extended time, that would make a guy like T.Y. really special. Same thing you've seen with Antonio Brown. Because when those guys are crafty like that and they know they have time and the quarterback is going to hold the ball for them to get open, it makes it extremely tough. Who's the, who's the toughest wide receiver you ever had to cover? Whole career. Man, it's hard because I'm in that era to where I played in all of the different eras. You know, um, when I first got in the league, you know, it was still Randy Moss and those guys. You know, Eric Mose, um, Derek Mason, Anquan Bolden, Hines Ward, Chad Johnson, Terrell Owens, you know, Larry Fitzgerald. Santonio Holmes, you can just go down the list. Then you got the next wave that's coming in, the wave of DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, uh, Mike Wallace, Antonio Brown, all those guys. And then you had the next wave of guys coming in, um, Odell Beckham and his crew. You know, so, um, you know, Jarvis Landry, uh, Stephon Diggs, Dez Bryant. So it's kind of hard, you know, but right at the top of that list, you know, I had to put up there a guy like Steve Smith. You know, because I played with Andre Johnson. I played with um, Chad Johnson. Those guys were both hard to cover. Just hard to cover Chad Johnson by far because he can get in in and out of his breaks like no other. And Carson Palmer can just put the ball, you know, with perfect touch at all points of the field. But just in a game, you know, Randy Moss and Steve Smith, because Randy Moss, you know, the go ball is coming. And he has the speed to take a slant or a hitch the same distance. And Steve Smith is just feisty as he comes. He's a guy that can do it all. He can catch a hitch. He can run by you. He can still form you. He's going to give you the complete package, and he's going to compete, and he's not going to complain and bitch, you know? 
So, you know, when you out there, it's like, man, this guy's going to get the ball thrown to him 15 times a game, and it's going to be a dog fight the whole game. And he's explosive, and he's competitive. So he's right at the top of the list. But all those guys, man, because, you know, it's hard to stop guys throwing the ball around the field, especially with the rules. Yeah. And then among from, from the time you got in the league and the time, time you left, who would you say are the three most dominant corners? The three most dominant corners. Right, like right now today? I mean, like just from the time you you got in the league, like the who who or, who, who who do you think were the two most dominant corners that in the league from the time you got into to now? Other than myself and Leon Hall. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, I'm biased. Like me and Leon Hall, we had yeah, we had a great run. But I exclude us. I'll say, obviously, Darrell Revis. Darrell Revis. And I won't name guys like Charles Wilson, Champ Bailey, because they were before me technically. But I played with those guys. But I'll say Darrell Revis. And I'll say Stephon Gilmore and Jalen Ramsey. Do, do you think in his prime, Revis is better than Ramsey? Because Ramsey's getting all the hype now. But I think people forget how good Revis was. Uh, it's different. It's different. Because uh, do I think Jalen Ramsey – can do what Revis did consistently, maybe so, but they're different body types. Ramsey's a taller guy. Revis has got good height, but not as tall. But Revis was actually go over there and shadow a guy and just eliminate him. It wasn't coming up and run support, making tackles like that and doing things that you see Jalen Ramsey able to do because he's a bigger physical guy. Revis was just going over there to just eliminate the guy. He, when you push play on the film, he ain't going to be open. You know what I mean? Similar to Stephon Gilmore. But I think Ramsey has the ability to where when he's done, he's going to be a safety, you know. So it's different. It's a different ability because he's able to come up and play inside in the box, outside at corner, go back and play safety just because of his unique skill set. So I think he can have the same effect on the game because it ain't about just locking a guy down because you can motion guys. Every player is going to be man coverage. So with the unique ability he has to go inside when it is zone coverage and not man coverage, he can go in there and match up on a guy or be able to break and be closer to the ball. So I think they have the same effect on the game, you know, at the end of the day, because a team ain't going to shy away from throwing into a star receiver. Yeah. Um, and with with, uh, with Gilmore, how, how do you think he's going to do in Carolina? I was shocked they even let him go in New England, but how do, how do you think he'll do in that team? I think he'll do great. I think, you know, as a corner, you know, man-to-man is the hardest thing you can ask a corner to do. And that's from a standpoint of it's different types of man-to-man. It's different types of ways you can look at it. But when you go back and you look at when I was playing in Houston under Wade Phillips, we played man-to-man, and it was five-man pressures. So you really don't have no one in the middle of the field. You have to cover from sideline to sideline. And you have some teams that play a lot of man that has a lot of inside rat help, you know, a lot of robber helps and things like that. So I think him playing in that scheme in New England, but New England was multiple at times because they're game plan week-to-week defense. I think he was able to get that and being in Buffalo and coming in Carolina at this stage in his career, it can extend you because you don't have to chase guys man-to-man. You know, you can play man-to-man principles, but at the same time, if a guy runs a shallow crosser, you know, let him just run underneath and you stay on your side. That now you're more fresh or latency in the game to make plays instead of just chasing the guy across the field, 50 plays a game man-to-man. And during the week, you have to rep those man-to-man plays in practice. So now you're doubling up on your workload. I think being in Carolina, in that defensive scheme with those playmakers around them. I think it can just do wonders for his career. Yeah. Is, is Carolina is, is South Carolina like DBU now with you, you Gilmore, and uh, J.C. Horn? 
hey, we got our fair share. You know, Dante Robinson, Sheldon Brown, Andre Goodman, those guys, man. I think, you know, DB is a position to where you can have multiple guys. It's not just like if you're going to have a running back or quarterback. So I think when you see a guy have success, you look at yourself and say, I can do some of the same things he do. Or you look at it as motivation. I want to be like him. And I think it's no different from when I got to South Carolina, looked up to Sheldon Brown, Andre Goodman, Dante Robson, and those guys. And it's been so on and so on. And we're just trying to keep that trend going. Yeah. And then, um, well, I thought you said you were doing some coaching? Yeah, I'm uh, volunteering coaching at my son's middle school right now. You know, I'm getting my feet wet a little bit, helping out. And it's been uh, fantastic, you know, at Grace Middle School here in Houston. Um, seventh and eighth grade kids. Um, those guys, great to be around. My son obviously plays on the team. But just being out there, just to see how it operates day to day, just to see how the kids are eager to learn, come back the next day ready to learn again, it's been great to be around. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I, I want to ask you just before I let you go, this whole situation in Houston going on, um, how do you think the team reacted when all these stories came out in March around uh, Watson? I think everybody probably had the same reaction. Like, uh, it was clueless. Uh, I wouldn't say uh, – probably, could, you know, first reaction, couldn't believe it. Yeah. You know, just – and I'm saying that based off the guy, everyone that knows Deshaun Watson, you know, from inside that locker room and the guy that we was around each and every day and the guy we had become uh, had become the known. And I think um, for me, just being a close friend of him and being very close to him, it hit me very different because, you know um, – it's early on in his career, and I know the way things can be on young players and the way it can affect you mentally. Because, you know, when you're at your peak, all the eyes are on you, and we live in a fishbowl. So um, for me, um, I just looked at it from that perspective. I just wanted to make sure mentally he was okay because at the end of the day, I know everything else will take care of itself in due time. But just having everything bottled down on top of you, you know, you wake up one day and all of a sudden this is coming out regardless of what happened before that, what led to that. You know, when he came out, it's like a bombshell on everybody that's involved, especially him close, because a lot of times in those situations, people don't really reach out to help. They start to pull back and go opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's any way he could rectify his career in Houston, or do you think it's best for him to move on? I think it's best for him to move on. I think uh, kind of similar to, you know, obviously I wouldn't say the Ben Simmons situation because he don't have any allegations pending against him. But he's clearly yeah. letting on that he doesn't want to be there. You know, so when a guy doesn't want to be there, and we all know how sports work, how can yeah. you get his best performance or his all when he doesn't want to be there? Yeah. So I think, you know, to be fair to everyone else on that team, the fans, the city, and everyone else, when you have a situation like that, it's best to go ahead and just dissolve it and just move on and make it best going forward for all parties involved. Yeah. Now, but Houston, do you want to see Tyrod kind of see what you can do? Because you got Davis Mills in the neck. And you don't know like what that neck can do because he can see over everybody. I just want to see Tyrod get a chance to do his thing just in general, because everywhere he's been, he's had success, but it's an injury come up or they looking for the next better, best quarterback. So I think I'm just looking for him to have a chance. And even if David Mills is the guy down the road or however it is, let him have a chance to rebuild his name, get himself going and get an opportunity because, you know, he's still young as, and when you look at quarterback years, so I think um, him having a chance to go back out there and get his career on track because he can play good football, but it's about just being available. You, you've seen how well Cooks has kind of been under the radar this year. Cooks is falling out. Right, Cooks? Yeah, I think uh, you have to look at him. He's been a Pro Bowl player several times in his career, and I think 
he had a streak of what some however many thousand yards back to back every year with different quarterbacks. So you know the guy definitely can play, and I think um, maybe people here in Houston probably didn't know what they was getting because of D Hop. But yeah. I think anytime you can get a guy that can get go out and get you a thousand yards consistently, um, that's a big win because you know um, no matter how good you look at what Will Fuller was for us, I don't think he ever had a thousand yard season. He's always up by like the sixth game. Can this dude stay healthy? Like everybody's, I wish he could stay healthy because he's phenomenal. It's crazy. That's my point exactly. There's no receiver that he's the oh my like when I say special, special. Like, because he can run every route and he has the speed and the tools to separate. And I think he just couldn't stay healthy, you know, with that combo. And we've seen flashes of how dominant it can be. Made it look easy at times, right? And um, it's kind of the same situation. Yeah. And then I've got one last quick one before I let you go. What's your best Bill O'Brien story? My best Bill O'Brien story? Man, it's a lot of stories, man. It's a lot of stories. Um... I don't really have any in particular. It's just more so I just knew who he was and how he was and how he would operate. You know what I mean? It's like um, if I came over there and I got a great relationship with him. You know, I talk to him every day. We joke, laugh, you know. Whether it was like most time we talk, it wasn't even about football, our team in general. It's about other stuff that's going on, right? And um, I knew walking over there that morning, if he walked by me and he didn't speak to me or didn't say a word and didn't acknowledge me, it was going to be a long team meet. <laughs> you know, you just give a look like, damn, what's wrong with him today? I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. You know, so um, that was always funny to me, you know, because I walked right by you. And I'm like, damn, he didn't say nothing. You know, and um, I know him all the time. I was like, he's in a bad mood today. Here we go. Here's his team meeting goes. And uh, it was just dead on, spot on every time. And it was always funny to me. But um, it was great experience, great to be around those guys. You know, he brought Coach Romeo Cannell over there who, you know, just a guy like Romeo. He's still was, there. He's been there. He's been in the league longer than you played for the Texans. He's probably been in the league longer than I've been alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? He still has the fire and the passion for it. That's what I respect about a guy. Like a guy like him, you know, he's the nicest guy that you can ever have as a coach. You know, him and Wade Phillips, same personality. They're all about the player. And it's hard to find as a coach. You, you have Vrabel there too, right? Yeah, I have Vrabel. That's cool. That's fine. That's, you think Vrabel likes still being in the AFC South a little bit, kind of just kind of staying, staying involved in the same division? Yeah, I think because he got a good thing going on in Tennessee. You know what I mean? I think um, I had a chance to be over there with those guys, you know, for half a year. And, you know, it's some of the similar things, you know, like people say the Patriot way, but he put his own spin off to it. And I think he's doing a great job. I think he got a team that, Young mixture of veteran and young guys, but a smart football team, and they're starting to play the way he wants to play. Obviously, their defense is not where he wanted to be, but I think their team a bit different to where they built through Derrick Henry to run the ball, eat the clock up, throw to those explosive receivers they have. Did the guys even try to defend Henry in practice? They just let him go. Man, it's crazy because I tell people all the time, like he practices the same way he runs in the game. Like those runs, he finished those runs in practice, and it was like. They was managing. They manage him a lot in practice. You know, they don't want to kill him because they use him a lot in the game. Obviously, and yeah, it'll be times. <laughs> so it'll be times to come out there. He'll do a little something early on in practice, and he'll kind of go over and work on the side. And I'm like, I never kind of seen you know running back give you know that time off. But it wasn't time off. You look over there. He's in full pads in the sand pit, doing nothing but leg work. 
with a strength coach. I'm like, I've never seen nothing like it. And then you see in the game when he's able to just pop their run and get to zero to 60 that fast at that size. I was like, I tell people, it's no different than how I was able to witness J.J. Watt. I seen it. You know what I mean? I witnessed it with my eyes. A guy put that work in, and it just correlates right over into the game on Sunday. You ever seen another running back put fear into the defender's eyes like Derrick Henry running down the field? Man, it's guy like that with that size. And I think it's, it's not more so that he's really just tough to tackle as in he wants to run you over because he's not a big, powerful guy. I'm going to just run through guys. He wants to steal form you because he has feet like a guy that's 150 pounds. When you watch him closely, it's more so you know he's a freight train. And when you get him going, you're in so much space because they draw it up perfect to get in one-on-one with a DB or one-on-one with someone in the gap. It's like you're more so thinking, how am I going to bring him down? That's the yeah. biggest thing because you put in an awkward position like he can bounce it or he can make one cut and he don't lose speed. Yeah. Because I remember for a couple, of, couple of years, I remember like after they got him, they were they had um, the Marco Murray out there, and then they brought Dan Lewis. I'm like, what do you give this guy a shot? And then they let yeah. him have the ball. Because it's like they have a big philosophy over there when I was there. Get Derrick Henry to his fourth step without getting touched. And you just think about that. <laughs> I saw he's projected to break Eric Dickerson's rushing record by like 300 yards. That was an extra game, yeah. Who has 300 yards in a game? Dude, different. It's crazy. Um, and then, but do appreciate you taking time. How can people follow you on social media to keep up with you? Oh, yeah, I'm on Instagram at the real J Joe. I have the same Twitter feed, but I'm not big on Twitter. I just haven't really got to understand Twitter yet. I haven't put much time into it, you know, when I was playing. I just wasn't a big Twitter guy just because there's so much going on there when you're an athlete and when you're playing about critiquing your game or this and that. And I don't really have that much time when I'm playing because, you know, it's a distraction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do appreciate you taking the time. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on.